Okay, so anyone who knows me, and honestly, at this point, anyone who listens to the podcast, because I guess we've just (laughs) gotten real close around here, knows that I do not wear bras. And like, that's not some sort of an over-exaggeration. You can ask any of my friends. I truly do not ever wear bras. However, there have recently been some circumstances where like, I just have to. I've been saying yes to more things. I feel like we've been going to more events and there are just some outfits. I got to do it. And when I tell you I have finally found a bra that makes wearing one bearable. Like I'm never going to be an everyday bra wearer. It's not in the cars for me. But when I have to, the only bras I can wear are skims, which I'll get into the specific ones in a second, but we all know this comes as no surprise. Like I have been an OG diehard skims fan since day one. I am a fan of every single product they make. You know the way I feel about the underwear, the clothes, all of it. But now adding bras to the mix, specifically the Fits Everybody t-shirt bra, because You guys know the way I feel about the Fits Everybody collection. I could talk about that for forever, but specifically the t-shirt bra, it's just so comfortable. I don't know, the straps don't dig into you. It's probably the only bra I've ever worn where when I get home, I'm not like dying to take it off, which I cannot express how massive of a feat that is for someone like me. It's just comfortable and it just does what it needs to do. And I am such a fan, which like no surprise, I love everything Skims makes, but here to confirm the bras are as good as you would think that they are. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A through 46H. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Isabel. And welcome to another episode of Comments by Bravo. Hey, Is. Hi, Emma. I'm so excited for this week. This is a good one. I really have to say that not only are we getting into the weeds with the Erica and Tom stuff, but the fact that the Scott Disick plotline is rising up at the same time, it's overwhelming in the best way possible. Listen, call me dramatic. I'm literally in heaven with this. No, it is the best season. It's so good. It's so it's, good. It's so good. And then we had Ebony on for our New York segment, and we, were, we weren't really sure if we were going to do an interview or a recap of the episode, and it kind of ended up being a combination of the two because- she was just so easy to talk to and immediately we just got into it. So I don't know. I don't know about you. I didn't even look at my notes the entire time. It was just such a seamless conversation. I honestly don't even think I spoke that much because I forgot I wasn't just listening to her on another podcast and I was so mesmerized that I just got lost in it. It was great. I'm really happy we spoke to her because we've been raving about her all season and I'm glad we got to ask her some things we've been wondering. Yeah. And also she gave a little bit more context and behind the scenes stuff. It was just a great overall conversation. It was such a mix between an interview and then a recap. I was like, you are the ideal co-host. A dream come true. I'm really excited for you guys to hear it. Yeah. We'll put that at the end, but let us start with Beverly Hills. You ready? Never been more ready. So we begin with Sutton picking up Erica at her rental and she's in her Bentley. And we'll get into this in a second. I just want to say I'm the first one to admit that I wasn't a huge Sutton fan originally. I don't want to say I disliked her, but I don't really think I got her. And I think what's happening for me in this episode, I don't know if anyone else is feeling this way, is that at the very least, I really appreciate the kindness that she's showing Erica and almost kind of like on a woman to woman level, I really appreciate the support in this time because she's been through a divorce. Yeah, I think Sutton overall is just misunderstood. I think she is aware that she has quirks and, you know, we're all different, but this really showed just how good her heart is and how she is so compassionate and knows how to be a really good friend. And 
almost a different side of her because I think we've seen a lot of group scenes with her, which is not necessarily where she thrives. Whereas I felt like this one-on-one with Erica, picking her up, bringing her a divorce gift basket of things that she might want, bringing her to the spa to make her feel good and sort of just being that friend in that moment and putting anything else aside. I just, I don't know. It was good for Sutton. I think she needed that too. Oh, I think she did as well. I mean, that's the thing. It's never a one-sided thing because when you're the person that's giving that, it makes you feel good. And I think when you go through something that's traumatic, like what better way to heal from that? And I would imagine on some level Sutton is still healing than to kind of pass on things that helped you in your time to someone else. Exactly. It was great that they had the Bentley as kind of a point for the producer to ask Erica in her confessional because that prompted her to say, and I quote, Based on Tom's two previous divorces, he's a fighting motherfucker till the end. If I got a Bentley out of this divorce, I'd be thrilled. She really, I'll say it again, is opened up so much more than I ever thought she would, regardless, again, of what we think is true or not true. Her overall attitude and kind of vibe about it is way just more open and honest and raw than I ever, ever would have expected because we've never seen her like that. Like even way later on when we're at the cocktail party, she like says something and she's like, well, I'm getting a divorce. Like, you know, can you blame me? I'm sorry. And is laughing about it. We've never heard her ever be like that. So to hear this, it's like, who is this woman? Yeah. And on top of that, you know, it's just kind of crazy the contrast of how she spoke about Tom for all of her previous seasons with such a level of respect and admiration and seemingly someone that she really just looked up to in so many different ways. And now it's like, you know what? That ship has sailed. And now that the paperwork is done, she's ready to open up about her true feelings. And she is not holding back in the slightest. No. And this was so interesting to me. So she's opening up to Sutton at the spa saying, Basically, she has moments where she feels good and also where she feels really lost. And she's trying to kind of compare how both her and Sutton were married to really powerful, possessive men. And when she said this, I know who Tom is. I know how mean and utterly dismissive Tom is. I saw for 22 years. It's not like he's going to say, oh, great. Do you want the sofa? And they cut back to all those clips, which we have seen before, of him there at dinner with Lisa Vanderpump and you know, she tried, Erica tries to butt in and he very kind of firmly says, Erica, I'm talking, like, please don't interrupt me. We saw it happen a bunch of times. And I think Erica always defended that. And that was just the way it was. And we, because of her reaction, almost made it okay. And we're like, well, she's used to it. That's how Tom is. Maybe he's not like that all the time. Or maybe he just, I don't know, he brings his work home with him in a way he's used to being in charge. So now to hear her reflect back on things that we ourselves have seen with our own eyes was like, holy shit, like you really were thinking this the whole time and had the same feelings we did, but you of course couldn't say it. Yes. And the clip that they played in this episode, the flashback one was the same one or part of the same one that they played last week where he kind of dismissed Erica and Lisa. And two things for me. The first is I don't care how busy of a job you have, how hard you're working. To me, that's never acceptable to speak to your partner like that, regardless of who they are, what the situation is. And then second of all, and I think I may have said this last week, I don't remember watching that episode for the first time. I obviously did, but I don't remember it because I don't know. Would we have excused him in that way? I guess we did. You're right, because she did. You kind of take 
the the wife's lead because she knows him the best. So she says all of these amazing accolades. You're right. I guess we excuse that one thing because we saw such infrequent interactions with him. And I guess the reason that they have to play that same clip twice is because how many times did they have Tom on camera? And then on top of that, times of him snapping. Like his camera time was pretty limited. No, I think it's pretty amazing that they have that at all, let alone more than one example. I think you're right. We just took her lead and it was like, that's her relationship. She seemed so happy. And I feel like we just internalized it. Like maybe I wouldn't want to be in a relationship like that, or I wouldn't let my husband speak to me like that around my friends or ever, let alone on TV. And we just said, oh, what? It's not our husband. Like, that's just the way maybe that their marriage and their relationship is. I mean, I think we always knew the power dynamic was there, but it just seemed that she was happy and okay with it. So now to be able to go back and kind of discuss and dissect Erica's marriage with Erica and hear her true thoughts of what she was feeling and thinking, like, that is a really unique experience. Regardless of the shit that both of them have done, it's kind of meta to be able to do that. It is meta. And The reason with Erica specifically that it hits different than any of the other ones is because it would be different if we were, quote, like reliving or shit talking Erica's marriage with any of the other women because they they themselves, they don't have the insight. Like this is not like, you know, Lisa and Dory talking about Kyle's marriage if God forbid her and Mauricio were in this situation. They would have more to say. They would have more valuable insight. The women don't have that much valuable insight with Erica and Tom because Even they didn't know that much. No, and it's not like Erica's a housewife who's ever opened up about any kind of struggles in her marriage before or relationship issues or, you know, the push and the pull. Like sometimes even if it's not a divorce, the women on every franchise will say, I feel like we're disconnected or he's working so much. Little things like or good things like Denise and Aaron, like we have so much sex. We didn't know anything like that. We just really knew the structure of their marriage, not the actual sentiment behind it. So I don't know. To me, that line was just so powerful, like so something I feel like we've been waiting for for a really long time. And then they yeah. get into the Chicago stuff. Yeah. Wait, before they get into the Chicago stuff, we just have to talk about the person yelling from the celebrity tour bus, don't divorce your husband. Oh, I mean, doesn't get better than that. You know when that happened, the producers were just like, wow, this is our lucky, lucky day. I know. I'm wondering, like, did they pay them? <laughs> I don't know. But either way, it's genius. Because at the time, I guess this was like the week it happened. That was the biggest headline besides the new president. Like, that was that was pop culture that week. Oh, for sure. That was as mainstream as it got. Nobody – this wasn't just for Bravo fans because, again, the legal element added – so many more questions for so many more people. Yeah, exactly. So they're having this spa day and they're sitting in the sauna, which by the way, just one line that I want to mention to kind of contextualize the experience is when Sutton asks her about saunas, if she's a fan or whatever, Erica responds by saying, I have one and then corrects herself. Well, I had one. And it was just one small little line, but I do think it will be very foreshadowing of a lot of things she will experience in terms of this realization of like that life is no longer mine anymore. Yeah. She's going to definitely have some Sonia Morgan moments of realizing what is her reality in the present versus what was her reality for 20 years prior. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Although I think in her mind, even if she would admit that there's a part of her that almost I think justifies it or rationalizes it by saying, well, it never was mine to start out with. Right. 
So Sutton, with the very hard-hitting questions, asks, are you mad at him for not coming to New York to see you in Chicago? And she responds, yeah, it hurt. Your wife that you've supported and funded becomes a lead on Broadway, and you don't come to the show, and then I have to go out there and defend it? Now you tell me if I feel loved. Right after she says this is when they cut back to the reunion and Andy asks her, did Tom get to see the show? And she basically responds by saying, no, our plan was that he was going to come to the last show and because of COVID, he couldn't come. Not one word about how upset she was. And so that is just one small example of this kind of hiding she was doing of how she was really feeling. I don't know if we said this on the podcast or just to each other. I kind of remember when that part of the reunion came out, we were saying, can you believe that you and I saw Erica on Chicago and Tom Girardi didn't? But we didn't think anything of that comment. It seemed legit. Like, of course, maybe he was just coming to the the last week of shows or the finale show. That's a really exciting time. And no one ever would have expected it would have got cut short by COVID. So now to look back again, like I said before, to see Erica kind of call out these things she said in the past and get a real explanation of what was going on behind the scenes, you just couldn't ask her anything better. No, you couldn't. And I think also, you know, the fact that we didn't even think twice about her response on a subconscious level, that must have shown our feelings or the way that we kind of contextualized their marriage on some subconscious level. Because if that was Lisa and Harry wasn't there for the first show or very early on, we would have thought it was weird. But I guess we just thought that's how their marriage works. And then also on top of it, I don't think this is off to say, I think it's legitimate. Obviously, Tom is a lot older than Erica. So maybe his trips weren't as frequent in our minds. I don't know whatever justifications we were making, but it didn't seem weird for us at the time. It didn't seem weird. It just seemed like he's really busy and they made a plan and this was her project, her thing she was doing, and he was going to get there. And they clearly had spoken about it. I don't even think we overthought about it at all. No. And she's saying in the sauna that she was obviously on Broadway because of the support that he had given her for years and that this was the payoff. So just come for 24 hours. And she also says, you know, it's tough. It's not a marriage between Mauricio and Kyle or Dorit and PK. My marriage was different than any of them. That's the hardest part to reconcile. Wasn't it interesting she didn't mention Lisa and Harry? Maybe she did and they just edited it down. But that I thought was kind of, I don't know, maybe not to think into too much, but definitely interesting. It was literally my first thought when I was watching and then I was like, was this a producer move? They specifically took it out for people to wonder exactly what we're wondering, or maybe she just sometimes you just say the first names that come to your mind. Yeah, I think that was definitely it, but I don't know. I couldn't help but overthink it. And when I also think back when she says that living in New York, how she was so on her own and she realized that she was okay being on her own, I think back to her stories. She moved into like a one bedroom apartment, I think near Broadway. She was living there, she had her whole life. Tom clearly didn't come to see her once. She was completely self-sufficient, not financially, but just in her apartment and in her job that she was going to and working really hard and socializing. And I think that probably was the realization she needed that I could do this on my own because living in an apartment for four months in New York, how happy she was, she realized I can downsize to a small house in West Hollywood and be okay. I don't need Tom. And now I really don't want him anymore. Plus the financial and legal things that were to follow. Well, I actually was wondering that also if, I don't want to say if New York was the catalyst for this happening, because I think the catalyst for the divorce was 
the influx of legal troubles and financial troubles she knew she was facing. I don't think, you know, going to New York was the thing. However, I do wonder if New York gave her the push or New York made her feel safe, or maybe she would have done it regardless, but having the knowledge that she was quote, okay, when she was in New York made her, made the process a little bit easier for her. I don't know, but I did wonder that. Yeah, I think it was probably just a sense of comfort. Like, I did it then, I can do it again. And that's maybe why she seems so okay in this new life that she's building. If Maybe if she hadn't had that New York experience, it would have been a lot more difficult for her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I know we're all kind of operating at a different skill level when it comes to makeup. Like, I have some friends who they do their makeup and it looks like they got it professionally done. I have others who know nothing about any products. And then I would say I'm somewhere in the middle, like by no means am I very skilled, but I think I can hold my own. And in terms of my everyday, I'm just doing mascara, lip gloss, and maybe a little bit of highlighter on my inner corner. So if I'm only using a few products, I need them to be excellent. And I've recently been very into the Thrive Cosmetics mascara, which I'll tell you about in a second, but just in general, a note on the company. For every product purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive, which I just love knowing that I'm buying from a company that does that. And in terms of their mascara, so it's the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. You guys have seen that. It's the viral turquoise tube. I've saw it all over social media before I ever started using it. And it's a unique formula that creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. It's also super easy to remove. So it slides right off with warm water. It doesn't leave smudges. And the ingredients are really nourishing. So they support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It really just gets the job done. Like you will see what I mean when you try it. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash CBC. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash CBC for 10% off your first order. So this next scene when Erica and Lisa are in the car and Erica saying that Garcelle told her that she heard by somebody that she was shopping with at a store that Tom was seen at restaurants with a 60-year-old blonde woman, but Erica doesn't know who it is, which another thing I don't know if I was anticipating her bringing up on the show. No, Garcella is giving zero fucks. Her and Sutton, and honestly, all of them are asking the hard, real questions, and they're asking what we would want to know, and also just spilling tea that we wouldn't know. Well, for Garcelle to ask her, okay, Scooter Braun, what's happening with him? Were you in a sex shop? And asking her about Glev from Dancing with the Stars. Like, these are the kind of questions that we were asking on the podcast. And I don't think ever in our wildest dreams did we expect one of the other housewives to mention the words scooter brawn and also sex shop. So, fucking yes, Garcelle. I literally have Bethany Frankel ringing in my head, mention it all. That's right. what Garcelle was doing, mentioning it all. I do think there's part of me that feels that if Garcelle thought there was any legitimacy or a good chance of legitimacy to these stories, she maybe wouldn't have asked her. But I think she thought that they were so ridiculous as we did that it was okay to ask Erica at all, let alone on camera. But I don't know. Part of me still thinks like where there's smoke, there's fire. There's got to be something. Something you would think because a lot of people were clinging onto it in a way that I wouldn't have necessarily thought. But honestly, who knows? I think you know, what was interesting was hearing Erica's perspective on how she was going to approach it with the media. Like, even if you don't want to believe a word that she says, what she said about kind of ignoring it and not saying a word to the media to not even like legitimize it with a response. That was interesting because that is what she did. Right. It's true. But at, if we were watching this without knowing anything else, we'd think, oh, that's the biggest issue on her plate right now. Like 
we know how much other shit is going on behind the scenes. Of course, the press and like the gossip sites fall to the back burner. Right. Like that that's not at the forefront of her mind. But and also because if she really did have a heads up about this Tom stuff, which I think we think she did, like the last thing she's worried about is her potential fling with Scooter Braun. Like she's worrying about the FBI coming for Tom. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like she doesn't care what Us Weekly is putting on Instagram. Like she has to worry about her life and her like if she's going to jail or not. Right. So this is when Lisa brings up, my daughter is linked to a guy named Scott Disick. I was like, okay, come on, right? Like, come on. But then it flashes to the clip of Amelia on FaceTime. And she says to Erica, you know, Amelia says, no, 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 we're just friends. And then a couple of days ago, she sends me a video of them on the beach. Keep in mind, this was November 2020. I know you can all envision those photos. We're going to put the link in the description just in case you can't because we are now getting to hear Lisa's reaction, which was very similar to the reaction all of us had, which was simply, what the fuck? Okay. I just want to make a little disclaimer before we keep going on this because I feel like it's necessary and you're going to agree with me. We love Lisa Rinna. Love her or hate her. We love her for who she is, and I think she is a really good person. I think she's a great housewife. I don't agree with everything she says or does, but I just love her as a person. However, the milking of this story that she does in this episode, not even so much in this scene because I really feel her and Erica are very, very close friends, and this felt like a natural conversation. They both have things within their families that are huge, huge headlines at the time. This felt very natural. But as the episode progresses, and I think even as next episode and the season progresses, Lisa Rinna doesn't hate this. That's what I'm going to say. She absolutely does not hate this. And I would maybe say that she kind of is loving every second of it. Well, I think there's two sides because I think Lisa Rinna, the mother, probably is concerned. I mean, when your 19-year-old daughter is dating a 37-year-old guy with three kids and not the best history with women, it's going to perk up your ears. So I definitely think Lisa Rinna, the mother, is very tuned into that. However, Lisa Rinna, the celebrity, and Lisa Rinna, who is very conscious of attention and fame, and also, as she said, this is taking attention away from you know, some of Amelia's struggles with her eating disorder that she had spoken about that she wished weren't so in the press. And so I think that in my interpretation of this is that it's split in Lisa's mind. It's not that she wishes it wasn't happening. And if it is happening, she's going to fucking make the best of it. And she's going to talk about it. And she recognizes the magnitude of this from a fame perspective. I still do think though, deep down, she's like, okay, let's keep an eye on this one. I have the best comparison. It's like that meme of Kris Jenner when, from the first season of Kardashians when she's like, yes. when I found out about Kim's sex tape as her mom, you know, I was horrified. But as her manager, right. like, that's, how, that's how Lisa Rinna is because she's like, you know what? This is the real deal. This is the situation. And I'm going to fucking make a storyline out of it. And she at least is honest and owning it. And she's kind of following her own rules. but. Yeah, I just like had to say that because the amount of times that she brings it up in a way that usually I feel like people would shy away from it was like a little refreshing, but a little bit I get why people are calling her on it. Yeah, I just think I don't know if she would um I don't know how much she would deny it in the sense of like I, I think that if you asked her, Lisa, point blank, I just want to know, 
is there any part of you that enjoys this happening? I don't know if she would say no. Like, I think she even said it in her confession when she was in the pink, like, yeah, this is getting, you know, a lot of attention and hey, she's making headlines for a different thing. Like, I don't know if she'd be so quick to deny it. Do you think I'm wrong? No, I don't think she, I think she knows exactly what she's doing and she's very transparent about that. That's why I love her because anyone else would say, what? I'm not milking it. I hate it. You know, I'm trying to shy away from it, but then bringing it up. She knows she's bringing it up. She knows what makes good TV. She knows dropping Kris Jenner's name and texting her is going to make the promos of the episode. Like she is a smart cookie. And I think it's fair to say she loves and cares about her daughter. She wants the best for her. She knows that she can't make decisions for her, but they're kind of in this boat and she's like, whatever, I'm going to, I'm going to make the best of it. Like if that's the most interesting thing she has going on in her life, she's going to put it out there. Right. And it also happens to be literally like the core of the daily mail slash, you know, every headline in the book. And, and she does, listen, she does things in her conversation with Erica to kind of allow the audience into how she's feeling about it. So she says, you know, it's a what the fuck moment. She's 19. He's 37 with three kids. Hello. And she says, again, in her confessional, I only know Scott Jessick from the Kardashians. Scott was with Courtney, not married. They have three children. Oh, God. So sh- she's doing back and forth. Yeah. And Erica's saying, I'm a little nervous about it. And Lisa says, I'm a lot nervous about it. Like the energy she gave when she was on Watch What Happens Live and we first heard her speak about it. And she's like, we met Scott, you know, haha. like not super excited about it and not kind of giving her blessing over the relationship fully was the same energy I felt here. However, she still wanted to talk about it at every chance we get. So I feel like that's kind of the unique split that we're dealing with here. When she says, you know, we're kind of just thinking it's a phase. And then Erica asks if anyone has reached out from the Kardashians. And Lisa goes, no, should I text Chris? Should I be like, well, she goes, I've done nothing. So I don't want to bring any attention to it. And I am just watching this episode thinking to myself, I can't believe that Erica in her new Range Rover, which we now know was leased right before the absolute decline of all of their finances and legal troubles, is driving Lisa and asking her if she is going to text Kris Jenner about Scott and Amelia. That is some shit. That is like the reality TV orgy that we are obsessed with. Like that is it right there. Like that is everything we could possibly ever dream of. Oh no, we're in the reality TV Olympics. It's like the NBC <laughs> Olympics, really. <laughs> it is. And I like that Erica said, she didn't say the Kardashians. She said, has anyone from that family? Like, right. it's almost like, wink, wink, we all know what's going on here. And like, they're just not, oh, the you know, the Smiths down the road. It's like that family. Right. But do you realize that we're seeing, we're basically watching Erica helping Lisa to potentially craft a message to Kris Jenner. Well, Erica is going through one of the most public divorces of the year, and her and Amelia are sitting next to each other on the front page of all the gossip blogs, and she is helping Lisa. Like, that is crazy. That's crazy. That's crazy. And imagine if Kardashians were still on and we got the full circle moment of this, which would be Chris on the show getting the text from Lisa and then going over to Scott and being like, we have to talk about this. Like I spoke to her mom or like Amelia, <gasps> Amelia coming to the Christmas party. Like Lisa Rinna is an old friend of mine. Oh my God. We, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but there was one moment when they say like Lisa Rinna could be a grandma and I'm like, haha. But then I remember that the kids in question would be Mason, Penelope, and Rain. Like, what? <laughs> what? 
No, it's too much to handle. I can't, this is the kind of stuff you can't make it up because you can't believe that you as a television watcher, as a little innocent TV watcher in our homes at just, you know, the end of COVID are experiencing this. We couldn't we couldn't dream this up. Again, we are not fans of this relationship. We do wish it never happened, but if it's going to happen, it may as well fucking air on TV. Yeah, like if it's going to happen, we might as well be able to get all the dirty details and know every single thing because we're nosy and obsessed with it and we want to know. Right. And we know that we're never going to get as much from Chris's side. And by the way, I guess we got a little bit of the flip side because in the reunion, remember Andy asked Courtney, like, do you give Scott and Amelia your blessing? It was so minor, but I'm just saying that was the minuscule flip side of this. Did they say Amelia? Like they specifically spoke about Amelia or just his new relationships? I don't remember. I know they said Courtney and Travis. I believe I believe he said Amelia. I think he did too. Yeah. But still, it's just, yeah, it's really, it's insanity. So we get to Kyle's cocktail hour, which is really beautiful. And again, as you were talking, Lisa asked the group, so when I meet Scott Disick for the first time, do I have to call him Lord? <laughs> and Kathy, yes, absolutely. And you do a little curtsy. <laughs> I don't think she had any idea what Lisa was talking about, by the way. I think she just like heard the word Lord and made that, pulled that out of thin air. But again, nobody prompted this. Lisa just like, shouted it into the abyss and wanted everybody to answer. And that I love. I love it. She wanted to talk about it again because at this point, we've only spoken about it with Erica. So now we get the Kyle element, which we have spoken about at great length over the months of how Kyle and Chris are best, best, best friends. And Scott is basically Chris's son and also the father of her grandchildren and kind of what position this puts Kyle in. Well, and by the way, Kyle is not being shy at all about saying her opinion. She literally says he is too damn old and he's got three kids. Let's just go under the assumption that this too shall pass. Yeah, they all just keep reassuring Lisa that this will pass. But keep in mind, this was filmed, I don't know, five or six months ago. (laughs) It hasn't passed. So I'm just, I think Lisa's really holding her breath. She's got to be. And we see in the preview for next week that they talk to Harry about it. Yeah, that's going to be good. Yeah. I mean, Garcelle gets super and kind of randomly deep in this moment when she talks about her son, Oliver, and his wife, Sam, and how, you know, when his wife got pregnant, she really thought that it was not a good situation, kind of of almost felt like her son had a commitment to self-sabotage. And she said, it's the best thing that has ever happened to him. And those grandchildren I love more than anything. And she kind of gets emotional, but it was a special, it was a special moment. Yeah. I liked the connection because I think she probably felt like they were all not shitting on Scott, but just saying, oh, he can't be good news because he has three kids already. And she's like, no, look at my son. He married someone who already had three children. They had another and it's the best thing that's ever happened to them. They were all kind of going around and saying, Kyle even said, you know, Mauricio's grandparents did not approve of me or like me at first. So I like that it sort of pivoted in that direction. Also, <laughs> when Dorit, <laughs> when Dorit is saying to Lisa about Scott. Oh, is it Mazel Tov or no? And Kathy's like, what's Mazel Tov? <laughs> doesn't know. She goes, doesn't that mean ha- Merry Christmas? Like, no, quite literally the opposite. I fucking love her. Another Kathy moment. She went live on Instagram and was doing some dental work on her friend in Italy. And I just, I can't, I never get sick of her. Her live with Paris and Nikki when they were in Vegas was so no, funny. No, no, because- no. 
like Paris and Nikki are seasoned vets at this and Kathy is just so not. And you can tell that like, not that they're on edge, but I don't necessarily think they trust every word that comes out of her mouth and are a little bit nervous that it's happening on live. Yeah. It's so, so true. And Kathy says, I think it was in her confessional, not to Lisa at the table. Like, trust me, I've had some experience with my daughters in the public eye. Like this is nothing. And I was thinking, you're right. This is nothing in the Hilton household. Well, but those are the perspectives that I really appreciate. You know, I know she didn't say it in the moment she said it in her confessional, but it's almost very easy to forget based on her personality that this is Kathy Hilton. This is Paris and Nikki Hilton's mom. You know, you, you, it's almost like when you're watching the show, if you knew nothing, you would not think that this is the same woman who raised the star of the simple life, the, the Paris Hilton. I mean, I'm talking like one of the absolute pillars of pop culture. Paris Hilton is synonymous with the early 2000s. And so it's almost like it increases her ethos. And I don't, it's not that I wouldn't find her to be a credible source or somebody that I think her word is worth listening to, but because her personality is so kind of out there and she's a little bit loopy at times, maybe you don't take her seriously. But then you realize, actually, out of every single person in this situation, when your daughter is dating somebody this level of fame and this much of a media storm, Kathy Hilton is absolutely the most qualified one to talk about that. You're right. Like in that moment when Kathy said that, the context kind of hit me in the face again because I think we really forgot. Now that we think of Kathy sort of as her own entity of like being this kooky, funny Kyle's sister, she just chimes in, she walks in with her giant fan. We forget who she is. And on paper, like, holy shit, if anyone knows something about being a mother of a, their daughter being in the headlines, it's her and Chris Jenner until the end. Like, they are the ones who know. And Kathy kind of like, was there first. So when you remember who she's sitting at the table with, it's like, oh yeah, literally Paris Hilton's mom is here. Like she knows a thing or two. I, You're right. The context and kind of the gravity of how major it is for Kathy is like really forgotten, I think. It, no, it really is. And I'm telling you, it is directly correlated with her personality on the show. If she was a little bit more this is what it is. If she took herself more seriously, and I am so grateful that she doesn't, but if she did, we would be constantly reminding ourselves, or we wouldn't even need to remind ourselves because we would be constantly aware that she is Paris Hilton's mother, but she doesn't do that. And so we forget. And then these moments do hit us. And it's kind of fun like that. Yeah. Like if the side of her that we saw in Paris's documentary, which of course was different because we were talking about really heavy and like sad topics, but if that kind of like not scary, but just more strict and stern and buttoned up side of Kathy was her overall personality and what carried on to the show. And she took things really seriously or was scary. Maybe we'd remember more like, you know, like who the fuck I am, but she's Kathy Hilton. Like she's drinking a Red Bull. Like she's so silly and just normal. And you forget. It's easy to forget, which I think is a good thing. It's a great thing. I think it makes her so much more likable. It's kind of like, you know what I'm just thinking of? It just hit me when we're talking about her confessional when she says like knowing a thing or two about, you know, uh, famous daughters. It's kind of like the farmer's commercial. That's like, we know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. (laughs) (laughs) That was good. It's like Kathy Olsen for farmers. (laughs) Oh my God. Let's get into the Sutton Crystal thing. And then can you promise me that we will just like maybe never talk about this particular issue again? Yeah, I I hope we don't have to. I hope they don't have to. I hope everybody else doesn't have to. This has just become something that it is so not. And what's so frustrating is that both parties recognize that it has become something that it doesn't have to. However, nobody is willing to kind of make it go away. And it's like, I 
I really, really like Crystal. And actually coming in, I liked Crystal so much more than Sutton. And I think now I would say I kind of like them evenly. I think they both have qualities that I really appreciate. My thing is like, you are allowed to feel whatever way you want about a situation. So we could look at that and maybe for us, somebody walking in on us naked and making a comment that seems a little off wouldn't do anything. But you know what? Everybody has their own thing. And so you have to respect someone's feelings on a situation. Okay. That being said, if Crystal can have this conversation with Sutton and really understand where she was coming from and completely can agree and acknowledge that she didn't have any negative intention, if the only thing Sutton is asking at this point is to remove the word violation because of how uncomfortable it makes her and because of what it insinuates and everybody is pretty much in agreement, I feel like Crystal could still communicate her feeling without using that word if it's such a triggering word because she herself has admitted that she knows it wasn't Sutton's intention to do that. Do you think I'm wrong? No, I think you're right. I just think for Sutton, she automatically links that word with something like sexual, but that's her take on the situation and the word literally the fight is about this word whereas crystal is saying no like look it up in the dictionary it can mean a lot of things the fight has become about the word violated and what really happened or not in those three seconds i don't think sutton meant any harm by coming in the room i think crystal is completely entitled to feel the way she felt but this could have been settled so long ago and what frustrates me is in any fight on housewives and this one is like the example of all examples both of them keep saying, we don't want to, I don't want to talk about it anymore. I don't want to talk about it anymore. It's done. I don't want to talk about it anymore. But then they keep bringing it up or bringing up things that they said about it or things that other people said about it or things that they heard people said about it. And it's, I'm exhausted. It's enough. Like, I think they could actually be friends, which in real time, I know that they do get past all of this, but this has escalated to such a point, And I feel like they're just using this fight to fight with each other because they don't like each other. It has nothing to do with the fight anymore. It, yeah. It's just really, it's, it's really unfortunate because I, I actually think what's happening is like both of their feelings are now almost being discounted in a way. Like we've gotten so far away from the root of it and now we're getting into the semantics of it. And you know something I when they they flash back to the clip of Crystal in the car, she did explain it in a way that was different than how she's explaining it now. Yeah, and it was it wasn't like you know that was her interpretation. It it was factual that it that it did kind of change, and the way she initially said it did have this insinuation of creepiness. And to me, there's a big difference with saying I was really uncomfortable, and that made me uncomfortable. That is so you're right. Like just because Lisa Rinna would be naked, and maybe you or I wouldn't care, it doesn't matter. If she felt uncomfortable, she felt uncomfortable. At the same time, I think if you're retelling the story, you have a responsibility to make the very clear distinction between uncomfortable and then something weird was going on here. And that is what she didn't do a good enough job of once she realized that it wasn't weird. Right. Yeah. That's how I think. No, I think you're right. And I'm just like, honestly, I'm so sick of this because I really love both of them. And this is like causing tension at every group event. I mean, I think next week is the ugly leather pants moment. So clearly things come to a head even more than they did at this dinner. But it's it's got to be over. It's got to be. Crystal's cool, though. Like, not talking about with this particular fight. I don't necessarily love the way that she's handling it. But when I was watching her just kickboxing and the way that she balances that with her kids, with her stuff she just she has a good thing going on yeah i i like i'm really into her and that's why i don't want this fight kind of clouding over her wait 
when Kathy's trying to kind of play mediator and she's talking about, you know, we all get nervous before trips and she refers to Dorit as my English friend over here. And they're all like, she's from fucking Connecticut. <laughs> Babe, she's from Connecticut. Instant iconic line. And Dorit's like, I'm not I'm not English. My husband's English. And you know it's because Kathy just couldn't remember her name. Oh, my God. No, it was too good. And also because if you're Kathy and you already are, are lacking context or you don't really put two and two together, like Dorit's faux accent is not of someone from Connecticut. So <laughs> that's true. Makes sense. I, <laughs> I guess. I guess. I guess. It's hilarious. Did you like the full Louis moment? I love all her moments. I just wish that there was a little more mix up. Like she nails it and her glam is always good and she always looks perfect. But then it's like when I look on her Instagram of all of her actual looks, it's like it's a lot. But this particular one, I love that trench coat. Are you kidding me? I thought that was so gorgeous. Not everybody can pull that off and she does it in a really good way. Yeah. Anything else you want to mention from this episode? What are we forgetting? No, I don't think we're forgetting anything. I mean, what a great – I loved every minute of this episode, and I feel like that is such a good feeling after, I don't know, even New York being a little bit low for a couple of weeks. Beverly Hills last week and this week were spectacular. Yeah, and you guys, I think at the time that we're recording this, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe we are nine days out from the Potomac premiere. Oh, my God. We haven't even spoken about it yet. I'm so – I feel like we are so excited we covered last season more heavily than we have with any other franchise of, or any other season. I think that we covered Potomac more intensely than Julie and I covered any like major news story. Like there were, you know what I mean? There were a few things we did really full breakdowns of, but you and I, I would, I would refer to our coverage of Potomac as almost scientific. Yeah. We like dedicated a month or two of our life simply to Potomac. And I don't know, you guys, I, I can't believe we're just coming back. Like nothing ever happened. We were there zooming in on Monique's binder. We were watching, you know, Jamal's fucking IG lives. We were going through the trenches. I mean, we really were going in because it was so addicting. Oh, I was like going back through old pictures of Facebook posts from Monique's friend, who's the one who started the rumor, Gigi, her like insanity. Guys, I can't I can't wait for this season. Okay, we love you guys. Let us now cut to our conversation slash episode recap slash interview with Ebony. We love you so much and we'll see you next week. Okay, so I want to talk cookware for a second because I haven't told you guys about this company and I recently tried their products and I fully understand the hype now. So they're called Great Jones and they make really high quality, thoughtfully designed cookware that also happens to be beautiful. Like I know it's kind of a weird way to describe cookware, but you'll see what I mean when you go on the website. In terms of colors, they have your classic black and white, but they also have pink screens, yellows, blues, just like really vibrant, fun colors. And everything is non-toxic. So they have, you know, Dutch oven, ceramic dishes, non-stick sheet pans. Everything is non-toxic to me. That's huge. And we all know, like I'm not the biggest cook, but I have my staples. And I got originally from them the Fry Family, which is the eight and 10 inch ceramic nonstick pans. And they're just great. I got them in the white because that matches the best with my kitchen. I love cooking on them. And I also, I know, again, it sounds kind of weird, but I love the way they look in my kitchen. And the thing is, once you get these, you're going to want to get them for your friends. So they make incredible gifts for weddings, housewarming parties, birthdays, whatever occasion you need. It's a great gift. Upgrade your kitchen and replace those old rusted hand-me-downs with bold, beautiful, long-lasting pieces from Great Jones. Get started today at greatjones.com and get an extra 15% off your first order with promo code CBC. That's greatjones.com, promo code CBC. 
We are so excited to be here with host and executive producer of Holding Court with Ebony K. Williams and Revolt Black News and the newest cast member, and in my personal opinion, the best part of this most recent season of Real Hospice of New York, Ebony K. Williams. Hey, y'all. How y'all doing? Hi. (laughs) We're good. We're so happy to be talking to you. I am really excited to join you ladies. I'm a huge fan of of the show and of your show. And so it's exciting to finally be here. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so t- I first just want to ask you, like, how has this whole experience been? Because obviously you've been on TV for years, so it's not new to you in that sense, but Bravo is a whole different thing. And how has it been? How are you feeling about it all? Candidly, I'm feeling better now than I felt in a minute. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it's like you said, I'm not new to broadcast. I've been doing TV and radio and digital for over 10 years. But there really is nothing like the, um, the fan base and the platform of Bravo and Housewives in particular, and really Roni in particular. I mean, mm-hmm. it is a cultural juggernaut. And it's really part of the reason I, I wanted to join um, this amazing experience. But it's a lot. It's a lot of eyeballs. It's a lot of opinions. <laughs> it's a mm-hmm. lot of scrutiny. Um, but it, it's also a lot of love. Um, and I want to talk about that part too. But it, it has definitely taken some adjustment to get mm-hmm. to a place where I can feel you know, a, a, just a sense of peace, you know, so that every Tuesday night when the episode drops, there's not like a lot of anxiety and like, oh my God, because you know what? Now I get it. People are going to take these episodes according to their own personal lens, right? right. And their yeah. own personal experience. And that um, is is different in the sense that when I was in news and I was, you know, kind of doing more hosting in different formats, I'm in a professional capacity, right? Mm -hmm. This is different because this is me. This is my grief around my grandma. It's my excitement about trying to find love again. It's, you know, really in real time. And I think, frankly, this is where my approach to the show and doing this as a housewife might be a little different than other newbies, if you will. Like I just said, I I can't come on here and just try to hurry up and make friends with these women or go along to get along. Because I know I actually hate that as a viewer. Mm-hmm. I really always suss out the inauthenticity of that. And right. so I said, I owe it to myself. I owe it to the women and I owe it to our viewership to just like, let it be organic. Let it be real. Like whatever it is, how close it is, how close it may not be, just really lean into the authenticity of that. And so I think people are seeing that in a very real way in real time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, even there was a moment in this week's episode when you were at Ramona's and she said like, well, this was great. And you were like, no, it wasn't. Like, Let's talk about it. (laughs) Right? Right? (laughs) Like, no, actually, you were about to run out of your own damn house. What are you talking about? (laughs) And that's, um, that's okay, right? Like you had a visceral reaction to my energy and my kind of inquiries. And let's talk about that because I have enough respect for Ramona. And I felt even early in that part of our relationship development, there was enough respect for me. I'm trying to establish trust. Like for people that don't really know what that scene was about, let me be clear. That scene was not an ounce about politics. It really Mm -hmm. wasn't, Um, which is why, I mean, obviously I went into the space knowing Ramona and I probably didn't vote for the same candidate, right? Like, let's just be adults here. And this is America and that's more than okay. That's called democracy, right? Everybody gets to vote for who they believe is best equipped. What I wanted to try to do was create 
and forge a bond over a value system that was shared, because I think that's necessity to any basic relationship, right? Mm -hmm. And that was just as women to forge some level of connected tissue around the celebration of a woman, um, no matter the race, no matter the party, being able to break through a threshold in American politics that had never been done. That was the effort there. And not for nothing, had it been Sarah Palin, I probably wouldn't have had a lot of political overlap policy-wise with Ms. Palin, but not for nothing. I had to, I would have had to celebrate just that part of it because that's a bad bitch mm-hmm. to get to the White House in any capacity. Come on. So that's what that scene was about, was me trying to really find connective value systems with Ramona so we could build a real friendship and not just a Pinot Grigio French 75, you know, be on Instagram together bullshit relationship. Right. No, I mean, it's very, that to me was my interpretation of watching it as well. I think, you know, do you think this is fair to say that Ramona just kind of went into it being very defensive? She really had her guard up almost in a way? I I think, this is what I think. I think Ramona has never met anyone like me. And what I mean by that, I don't mean just a black woman, ha ha ha. What I mean is somebody who's not really coming to either cancel her and look for places to tear her down or need anything from her. Mm -hmm. I don't need her validation. I don't need her celebrity. So I think, unfortunately, and I think a lot of housewives um, deal with that binary of interaction with people, both on the show and in their everyday life. So people are either looking at them because they need something from them. Um, They're trying to get on the show or they're on the show and they're trying to build an allyship so they can save their spot for next season. Or You know, y'all know how these games are played, right? Or... They're looking for a storyline, so they're looking to attack, or they're looking to cancel you, or they just are complete egomaniacs and want to be the only person on an ensemble cast, and they're looking to get you fired or canceled. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think Ramona knew, certainly at that point, um, you know, uh, where I was coming from. Um, And so her guard was up because I think she really was skeptical around my intention for her. And that's why you hear me say in that scene, like... I'm 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 not trying to come for you. You know, this is really me. This is really a pure inquiry and I'm really trying to God knows connect with you on a level that can sustain beyond the bullshit. That's all. Yeah, you know, you you set your intentions very clearly with her. I often wonder if a lot of her relationships and I really don't I don't um mean to say this in a negative way. It's really more so just an observation if like a lot of the relationships in her life just by nature are more superficial. And so mm-hmm. that level of depth, sometimes people aren't comfortable with it so soon, you right? And when they're not yeah. used to that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I totally respect and get that. I know a lot of people probably were like, oh, she didn't want to go deep. Just leave. I, I, I hear that. I think that's a valid argument, but it's not one that I can subscribe to because I don't do small talk. Right. Same. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, let's start with that. Like, this isn't all about Ramona and what Ramona wants. Right. Yeah. Um, this is also I'm also in this budding relationship um, and I'm also on this platform. So mm-hmm. my what you see there is an insistence of like, if we're going to have a relationship, it's just a little bit got to be on my terms, too. And I don't do small talk. Mm-hmm. I'm an introverted person, which is actually why you see me and Sonia Morgan get so close because we share that value system. Um, we're not about the bullshit. We're not about the gram. Sonia and I mm-hmm. were laughing in like real life recently because um, we ran into each other at the airport. 
Um, I was coming back from New Orleans. She was coming back from God knows where, um, where in the world is Sonia Morgan. And we literally <laughs> ran into each other in JFK, um, both coming back, headed towards baggage claim. And, you know, it was like, Sonia, she's like, hey. And then we like, you know, chat, chatted up for a minute. And then we both went about our separate ways. And then like 45 minutes later, she texted me and she like, laugh out loud. We didn't even get a picture because that's <laughs> the kind of friends that we are though. Yeah. Is everything's not for the gram. And that's not to shade anybody who loves gram. I'm on it too. But it's like that, like, do we really need to take a picture to prove that we saw each other at fucking baggage claim? Like, who cares? You right. know, we were just in a moment and we connected about our trip and we laughed and we talked and we kept it moving. So yes, to your point, you know, I'm not one for the small talk or the chit chat. Like I like to start in a real substantive place. And then, by the way, and Sonia understands this about me and tries to explain it to the ladies, as you'll see in next week's episode. Um, once I get like just the most minimal baseline value connection to somebody that's like authentic, now we've got a foundation, honey, now we can shoot the shit. Now we can be the kiki. It can be about guys and kissing and sex and small penises, preferably <laughs> not small, but you know what I mean, you know, and now it's, it's all of that. Yeah. But we have to start somewhere. No, for sure. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm kind of just going to go with it now because I had a little mm -hmm. bit of a structure in my mind, but I just want to get into it. And you bring something up that I actually wanted to talk to you at some point about just in terms of your relationship with Sonia, because something that we kind of have noticed is that my interpretation, and I think Isabel's as well, is that Sonia feels really safe with you. Mm. And so she doesn't have I don't know if it's a level of defensiveness or whatever it is, but you really validate her and you really make her feel seen. And it's something that I don't know if I have seen from Sonia recently. And I just think that it must feel good for you to have that kind of effect on another human being. It's, I have to say without apology, my greatest um, like dynamic with a castmate this season is with Sonia. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's something I'm so... Um, humbled by. Um, and I think what you're describing, if I can, you know, be so audacious as to give it a, a, a name, I think it's trust. Mm -hmm. I think Sonia Morgan trusts me. I think she trusts me to not celebrate her being a spectacle. I think she trusts me to not question without authority her relationship with alcohol. I think she trusts me to, if I saw a point of concern, to come with her with um, pure intention and safety right? Mm -hmm. um, she knows I'm not trying to expose her. I'm not trying to play her. I'm not trying to cancel her. And I'm not trying to make fun of her, you know, because um, I think she's a really high value woman. I truly do. I think she is so wise and so loving and so warm and also someone that we can all actually learn a lot from. And I, j I watched the show for 12 years like y'all did. I never necessarily saw that. This mm -hmm. was stuff I only was able to get by listening and observing her in person. And it really came from the first couple of days when we were in the Hamptons. And, you know, Sonia is somebody that'll be in conversation, not necessarily say the most, but what she does says is so fucking powerful and interesting and, and introspective. And I just love on people like that. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know. I just think she's the shit. I think Sonia's the total complete shit. I adore her. And I think that we have a real safe trust between the two of us. I think as you being a viewer of the show, I mm -hmm. think that kind of helped you, but you also came in in a different way where I think a lot of the new housewives just do the light chit chat mm -hmm. and like they don't actually get to know each other. And I think the reason a lot of people feel that you're so real is because you actually are trying to forge these relationships with these women and it doesn't just feel like you were thrown into the mix. 
Do you think that helped you? Because I think a lot of the women say that they mm-hmm. either never watch the show or they lie about that they didn't watch the show. <laughs> yeah, I think most 90% are f- totally fucking lying. Yeah, yeah right. Totally. Like, I mean, that's like, oh, I went and applied for a job at Google, but I've never been on the internet. Right. <laughs> like, g- girl, no. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, no. And also, I got really good advice. Um, so one piece of advice I got both from... Um, one of my senior producers or executive producers, actually, and also from Dr. Simone Whitmore, um, who I adore on Married to Medicine, is do yourself and the audience a favor and don't pretend to know these women just because you watch them for 44 minutes a few times a week. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not getting to know anybody. Uh, do yourself a favor and and control, control, alt, delete whatever you think you know about them. Literally throw it out the window. And when you go, um, as y'all know, I, I met Ramona and Sonia for the first time in life, right? Um, at Sonia's townhouse for that brunch we had. Right. And and Simone and the senior producer were like, take that in as if that is your first time encountering these women in any capacity in your entire life. And that's really what I did. Even with Lou, like literally I'd seen Lou like twice, three times in my whole life. Um And so I didn't know her either. And even Leah, you know, like Leah and I, it's funny, and I'm very, very transparent around this, probably more so than some would like. Leah and I didn't have some longstanding friendship before filming. You know, we had, we legitimately have long-term common friends. So we were like proximate to one another for years. It just so happens, going back to values, Leah and I share so many um, common values that what you see is this like instant, you know, it's almost like a love at first sight relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, it's like the guy that you meet, you go on a date with, and then two weeks later you're living together and you're like, how the hell did that happen? (laughs) That's, that's kind of me and Leah. So that's why it's so like, oh, like even, I mean, you know, I'll say this, even Heather Thompson after filming, after some of the shit went down, she was like, part of the reason I thought I would never get a chance with you, Ebony, is because I thought you and Leah had been friends for like 15 years. And I was like, what? Like, Girl, no. And by the way, even if I had been friends with Leah for 30 years, I don't give a damn about that. I'm always going to give an individual their own opportunity to connect or disconnect, you know? Mm-hmm. So anyways, I don't know where I was going with that, but but that's, you know, oh, this is just, just giving it like the most genuine, opportune um, space to have real connection and not be like friends. I think that's another way a lot of newbie housewives approach it. And I think it's a fine way. And I think a lot of fans expect that, right? Like they expect when you come onto the show, you're supposed to make friends with these women. Like that is in the job title. That wasn't in my job title. I didn't really give a damn about making friends with them. Um, Because like in normal life, you're friends with some people and not others, right? Mm -hmm. So it was really important to me to just honor the authenticity of where the relationships went. Yeah, you feel that for sure. You so feel that. And actually, one of the examples to me that I felt really showcased that the most was when you were on, I think it was the bus going somewhere in the Hamptons. And that's when Luann and Sonia kind of got into that argument. And as the viewer, you have to understand that we thought you had let's say more of a relationship with Luann going in or, and it's true. You did know her technically more than mm-hmm. you did Sonia. However, in that moment, and this is what Isabel and I repeatedly say, we appreciate you so much is that it didn't matter. Any previous relationships, any previous connections didn't matter. You were only evaluating what you saw in that moment and like objectively mm-hmm. what was correct and what was incorrect. And you have to understand specifically when we're watching this show, mm-hmm. so oftentimes previously, we've just 
are searching for somebody to look at a situation logically, and you happen to be the only person so many times that is talking about it logically, and we feel like, yes, she's speaking our language. <laughs> yeah, because it's just, I'm a right is right, wrong is wrong kind of person, you know, and right. that's probably, that's my innate nature, that I'm a Virgo, that I'm a lawyer. Like, that could have been my mama talking right. shit to Sonia like that. And I would have mm-hmm. been like, Gloria, you're dead ass wrong right now. Right. Sorry. We don't talk to other women like that, you know, and that's not cool. And she does, it's enough people in society shaming people around their choices, around their sexual preferences, um, choices and experiences and lifestyles. She, the last thing she needs is somebody that's an alleged friend doing that. Mm -hmm. Get out of here. And had it been Sonia doing that to Lou, I would have said the same exact thing. Yeah. See, but that lack of favoritism is I don't. I think it's something we're relatively new to in these franchises, and that's why mm-hmm. I think it's such a breath of fresh air. Personally, I mean, I don't know, Isabel. Don't you kind of feel that way? Yeah, and not being so strategic of like, well, if I'm on her side, then what's everyone else going to say? Like, there's always mm-hmm. the domino effect, and I think mm-hmm. a lot of the women put that before actually the morals of the situation. They care more about the optics of it. So, yeah, we always were really like craving a narrator almost on New York, and mm-hmm. thank God mm-hmm. you're here. Thing. Well, I didn't know we were on Survivor, right? Like, I feel like that. I didn't know, like, I had to have an alliance and a this and a that, and we're going to vote somebody off this week. Like, get out of here. Like, you know, I just maybe, you know, I'm taking this thing at very face value in that the five of us have been blessed with this opportunity to, to, do this. We get to do this during a global pandemic where so many people, and Leah and I talked about it all the time, but for this show, we would have been totally depressed, totally on lockdown, like everybody else in the country still was at mm-hmm. that time, fall of 2020. So right. the fact that we had this incredible opportunity to know it wasn't like normal seasons where you're out and about and you're on these first class trips and all that, but we got to be around each other. Mm-hmm. And so in that way, also what you're seeing you know, is a more intimate season than usual. And I know it's a very different season. Trust me, I watched the first 12 seasons. This is a totally different season for a lot of reasons. Yeah. We've we got a smaller cast, Um, you know, for better or worse, it's just the five of us. So, and we don't have the distractions of 50 of Ramona's girlfriends at a party, you know, yeah. or whatever, or, you know, the audience at Lou's Cabaret. There's nobody else around us. You know, we could literally only bring one, maybe two guests per group scene. So it's like it forces these intimate, really getting to know each other dynamics. And, you know, I I like that because I'm an introvert and I like to get to the to the shits, you know, so. Mm -hmm. Well, I actually wanted to ask you, how do you think your experience would have been different if it wasn't filming in the height of COVID? Do you think that you would have? You know, it's kind of a weird question to ask because obviously you would have preferred there wasn't a global pandemic. But just in terms of your experience with the show, do you think that you would have preferred the more, quote, typical experience as it applies to the way, literally just the way filming went? Or do you think that this served better for you? For me, this served better. Like you said, obviously not wishing COVID on my worst enemy. I had it. It was fucked up and thank God I beat it. But um, the intimacy that we were forced into, I think was good because once again, that scene of just me and Ramona in her apartment, who knows if that scene would have even been done had we been able to do more party scenes and group scenes and things like that. So she would have been able to do what she prefers to do, which is literally run away. But because there was no one else there and because we had to film so much in our own homes, she literally couldn't escape it. And so I think that served the relationship. 
This season on Naughty Yada Island. When we were new, they spoiled me. They even gave me a phone. But then, it's like I didn't exist. Don't take Yada Yada from your wireless carrier. Now with Metro, get that new customer feeling again and again. Introducing Metro Flex. Free 5G phones when you join, same deals as new customers when you stay. Only at Metro by T-Mobile. Just bring your number and ID and sign up for an eligible plan. After 12 months, trade in and get our best deals on select devices. One thing that I wanted to touch on from this week's episode is when you are at lunch with Leah and you're kind of just having a conversation and she makes a comment of saying like, you know, I don't want you to feel like this is your job. And you respond mm. by saying, if not me, then who? And something that we were curious about is obviously you couldn't say this to her because you can't break the fourth wall in that extent. But is mm-hmm. there a part of you that feels, in addition to the fact that you do want to teach these women something, it's also like, you are on national television and you have this opportunity. Does that play into your decision in terms of the way that you have these conversations? I'm just going to take a beat because that's it. Ding, ding, ding. Give her the golden star, right? Obviously, I just spent 10 minutes talking about how authentic I am asserting these relations with the women. Yes, 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 yes. But also, this is a global platform. I was very well aware of that before deciding to take on this opportunity. <clears throat> so, so much of what you see and the insistence of reading the cards, for instance, at Harlem night, so that, you know, it's not just like, oh, here's a brochure, put it in your purse and get to it when you want to. Fuck that. I don't have time to play these games with these women because you might or might not read that. Right. I have to when the camera's on me right? And the million plus people around the world that are watching this episode, they're now also learning that W.B. Du Bois, Du Bois, however you want to pronounce it, both are correct, was the first black man to graduate with a PhD from Harvard. Mm -hmm. So it's bigger than what's going on in the scene, of course. And it's not that, you know, and in that scene with Leah, yet again, this is why I wanted to be really honest about the duration of me and Leah's relationship. Leah is still very much getting to know me at that point. Very much. It still is. And I'm still getting to know her, even in real time. So Leah didn't understand that this is not, oh, oh, wow, I'm the first black woman on Roni. Let me dust out my old black history, you know, textbooks and and get to work. No, like I happen to just be a black woman who's absolutely in love with my blackness. And it's Mm -hmm. it permeates everything I do. And it always has since I was a kid. And anybody Mm -hmm. familiar with my work beyond this show knows that about me. I mean, and trust me, Bravo knew it as well. (laughs) So this was not a um, chore for me or some, you know, um, belaboring effort that I had to do because I was assigned it or I felt obligated. This is exactly why I said I do this, right? Because Mm -hmm. I get to be black and excellent and glamorous and beautiful and sexy and intelligent and confident on a global platform. And I don't think there's enough of that in the world. Mm. Yeah. That's what we were literally screaming at our screens like, okay, but no one's addressing what you obviously can't. That you are on a TV show. Like that is the biggest part of it. And it's not so much about just your couple of friends sitting at the table. It was about just bringing attention and awareness and kind of education to everybody watching the millions of people at home starting conversations on Twitter. I mean, I saw so Uh much 
conversation good about it and just educational. So yeah, yeah. that was well, even just the questioning, like what, yeah. how do you, I love that people are debating the pronunciation of W.B. Du Bois, Du Bois's name because they're talking about W.B. Du Bois, you know, how <laughs> incredible is that? I love that people are like, you know, where do you start if you want to start reading the works of James Baldwin, which, you know, a lot of, you know, my friends who black and non-black are, are asking those questions and it's mm -hmm. great, you know? Um, so it's dope. And, you know, even in that scene with Leah, she says something like, or no, no, it wasn't the scene. It was uh, her confessional where she's like, yeah, I don't really know why Ebony's not reading the room and realizing she's losing them. Honey, I read the room the first second they were complaining on the way downstairs to get to the, to the event, <laughs> you know, right. I, I trust me, I don't miss much, honey. Um, I knew a, they didn't really want to be there. And if they were going to be there, they wanted to, you know, just have a shit show. Right. I didn't really care. Mm -hmm. It's not that I didn't read the room and it's not that I wasn't aware that they were completely uninterested in, you know, the substance of the evening. I was very aware. I just didn't give a shit because it's bigger than them. It's actually bigger than me. Right. So right. there you go. Yeah. See, that is the perspective that one, it's so clear hearing you say it. And I think that as the viewer, you can get that. But I guess in the room, that's mm -hmm. not one that they had. And, and, and I don't see that faulting them. I'm just trying to really like rethink about how I viewed their viewing of that night. I guess that was just not something that they were thinking of. I think the they're so used to just pretending that the cameras aren't there and pretending that they don't have this big platform, which I think a lot of times reflects negatively on them. But in this moment, they needed to look beyond like them sitting at that table. It was way, way bigger than them. Yeah. Yeah. And listen, I don't think every housewife has to approach it the way I do, right? Like everybody's not a scholar. Everybody's not a lawyer. Everybody's not, you know, a veteran journalist at this point in my career, right? Um, some people really are just there to turn up, so to speak. And I mm -hmm. think it takes all kinds. So in the same way that I'm not telling Ramona, hey, can you, um, talk more about what you're learning through your real estate curriculum, or you should spend more time, Ramona, sharing with us, you know, all the hurdles you had being a woman in business in the 70s and 80s or what. I don't expect that from Ramona. Ramona doesn't owe any of us shit around that. But right. then don't, don't take away my discretion mm -hmm. to use the platform as I so see fit. That's all. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, it's true. And you do need a mix of all of those different types of not only personalities, but also missions kind mm -hmm. of everybody's intentions going in. I think it's intention. Yeah, that's what it is. Because Sonia said something in scene that, you know, again, we're watching this, you know, when we get the screener, <clears throat> we're seeing a lot of stuff for the first time. Mm -hmm. So I hadn't seen that scene where Ramona, Lou and uh, Sonia were just kind of debriefing about Harlem Night and, you know, uh, kind of shit talking, you know, whatever. That happens after a group event. Um, so I didn't take that personally. But she, even Sonia's like, well, you know, Ebony's on her platform and she's on her agenda. And even that framing, although I know Sonia means it in good spirits, that's even erroneous. This is mm -hmm. not my platform. This is, you know, respectfully, this isn't PETA. This isn't the Red Cross. This is my lived existence. Exactly. This is my lived existence. So this is not um, some mission I've taken on. Um, out of benevolence. This is my lived experience and I do what I do the way I do it out of necessity. Well, let me ask you, I mean, I feel like I know the answer, but I want to hear from you. Are Now that all is said and done with this first season, are you happy you did it? Are you happy with your decision to come on? I am thrilled actually with my decision to come on. And two reasons. Um, 
Book three. Um, again, I just absolutely love and adore the relationships that, you know, I've been able to build with some of my castmates. Um, I love the ability to connect with viewers all across the world and engage with them and be a part of their world. It's amazing. And you will see as the season continues to play out, I have just the most incredible life-changing um, personal development in my in my personal family life um, that I could have ever wished for in in a million years. And I have to thank the show and production and this whole infrastructure for facilitating, um, you know, something that truly changed my life. So I, I have zero, zero regrets and I'm enormously blessed and happy that I did this. Wow. What a beautiful, I feel like there's so few things in life that people can wholeheartedly say how happy they are that they did. So I am mm-hmm. so glad to hear that because as a viewer, we are so unbelievably, not only happy, I think we're all feeling a sense of gratitude for your presence. Oh, thank you. Really? And, and I receive that and I do receive that. And I, it, somebody sent me a DM um, the other day. She happened to be an Asian American woman and she's like, hi, Ebony, you probably don't need to hear this, but just know that as an Asian American woman in the, you know, kind of wake of this anti-Asian hate, um, you know, dynamic that's going on in our nation. Da, 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 da. Um, and it was really beautiful. And she, but I was like, sis, I wrote her back. I was like, no, I absolutely needed to hear that. Like, yeah. don't ever take um, your connection for granted. Um, people every day, people that you think are so strong or so whatever above it, um, we're human too. And to have mm-hmm. that affirmation come from human connection is very powerful. Yes, it really is. It absolutely is. I have a, a kind of unrelated question before sure. we're asking. Is there any update you can give us as to your dating life since I know we saw a little <laughs> bit of that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So um, I am happy to report that I am well underway in my relationship with my matchmaker. So <laughs> I went to the, I know I spent way more than I planned and would have ever thought was needed on, um, but, but an elite, very elite, amazing matchmaking uh, company. And I am happy to, rep- I'm actively dating. I am actively okay. dating. I am going out. I am meeting men virtually and in person, um, thanks to vaccinations. Shout out to mm-hmm. vaxes. Um, and what I'm happy to say is, you know, I'm meeting such exceptional men and that's where the investment of a great matchmaker to me is worth it. Um, that maybe not to everybody depends on what your relationship goals are. Mm-hmm. I'm extremely unpo- unapologetic about at this point. I'm 37. I'll be 38 in September. I want a husband. I really do, and I want and I want to be a good wife, and I want to be a mom. And those are relatively new goals for me. So mm-hmm. when I met my then fiance, I was 33. I just wanted to be in love. Right. So I wanted to be in love. I wanted somebody that I could travel with, go on trips, go to nice dinners, date and enjoy companionship. Right. Right. And through my relationship with him, falling so deeply in love with him, um, living life daily with him at some point, we moved in together, all those things, seeing him father his three children um, and two of them through early adulthood even, um, it actually made my goals different. Like through that relationship, I realized, wow, holy shit, I actually do want to be married again. And I want to do it much better than I did the first time, which was miserable. And I was a terrible shit wife. Um, I want to do that. And I want to do it well this time. And I want to really commit and I want to give. And I want a real partner to make life decisions with. And I want to be someone's mom. And I want to raise and inspire and pour into someone other than myself. 
Um, and so because of those new goals and my biological clock, and yes, I have frozen eggs, um, but I still don't even take that for granted. Cause if you know enough about that, that's not a total guarantee, right? Mm-hmm. So I invested in this matchmaker the way lots of us invest in like hedge hunters when we're head hunters, when we're looking for, um, jobs or we invest in real estate, we invest in everything else as career women, right? So mm-hmm. I'm going to invest in love. I just know I want to partner with someone exceptional. And this experience has introduced me to the most exceptional men um, I've ever met. Um, Every last one of them. They're all different. They're different cultures. They're different um, ages to some extent. They're definitely in different professional backgrounds. The one thing they all have in common, they're exceptional men. Wow. Yeah. So glad for you. Yeah. I'm having a lot of fun. I'm having so much fun. And most people hate dating. I never was a huge fan. I'm enjoying dating this way because everybody I meet, I'm not going on every date like, oh, is this my husband? Because I know I trust this process. I will meet my husband. I have zero doubt about it. So now I'm just like going on these dates. Am I having fun? Is there any kind of attraction? Because I do think attraction can grow. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just really am assessing like, am I not, I just don't want to be turned off, you know? So right. like, if I'm not turned off, I'm definitely going to give it like a second and third date. So listening to you, I was almost kind of like mesmerized the way you were describing that experience because I do think it's kind of antithetical to the way that dating is described normally today. Mm -hmm. Most people do not have. So I'm just, I'm so happy for you that you're having those experiences. And let me tell you, I know I don't really know you personally, but I have absolutely no doubt that whatever man you are with is really, truly so unbelievably lucky because you were saying that you're meeting these exceptional men, but you are an exceptional woman, really, and it shines through. And oh my God, I have to watch. Oh my God. Thank you. Thank you. No, I'm excited. Well, wait till like this week's episode of Roni. Um, Sonia and I go to see one of my um, dear friends, Devin Simone, who also is a matchmaker by trade um, and many other things. She's incredible. Um, You'll get to meet her on this episode too. And you'll, you'll see, like, it's such a fun little girl's trip. That's, and, and I, you know, you know, breaking fourth wall here, production didn't ask me to do it. Production didn't even know I knew Devin, didn't know I knew. I just was, again, back day three in the Hamptons, observing Sonia, hearing her talk about, like, when we had the, um, oh, what was it? The, the, the burning man and the healer, mm-hmm. the healer over the fire. And, you know, Sonia just broke my heart really when she said, and some of this was cut out of the edit, but during that she was talking about how she felt she kind of didn't really feel like she had a purpose to be here anymore, you know, and, right. and and in the sense that her daughter is so successful and wonderful now, she's done all the things, she's launched all the companies, and she kind of felt like, ah, oh, you know, the best part of my life is kind of done. And I'm like, no, Sonia, the best part of your life is in front of you, my dear. And, you know, she's obviously, we all know she's been talking about John Morgan for forever and a freaking day. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and let's move on from it, you know, yeah. it's done get over it. Let's move on because there's so much love in front of you. Um, And so that's when I went to production and I was like, you know, I got a matchmaker friend. She's in Philly right now. Now Devin's back in New York. Thank goodness. Um, But I just want to take Sonia there and maybe she doesn't find the love of her life, but I want to talk through what are her relationship goals? What kind of man is she really looking for? And also what can Sonia offer a man at this point? Because I think as women, we kind of get real long with our list and I wanted her to think about what she's bringing to the table because I see it. I want her to see it. Right. Well, it's it's great hearing you describe that almost like the behind the scenes of that because something that we said just in hearing you even bring up the idea to her is that it kind of goes into what I was saying earlier about the trust and the safety that she feels with you or so we think. Mm-hmm. But 
on top of that, what a more flattering thing than someone to say, I think you are so great. And to show you how great I think you are, I want to bring you to my friend, somebody who I respect, mm-hmm. who I obviously think very highly of, and I want to have her to help you because I think you are so deserving of love. And Sonia needed that. Like we've seen her for mm-hmm. since the first season struggle with trying to figure out her dating life, her love life, you know, from young guys to older guys to mm-hmm. other people's guys. Like, we needed someone who wasn't going to be judgmental. Right. You no, know? right. like she needed someone to say like, no, like flip the switch. You, everyone else was so judgmental every time she spoke about her ex-husband or being in a relationship and mm-hmm. kind of gave her like a whole new perspective on it, which I think she really needed because it seemed like she was in a rut. Uh, Yeah. Um, And yes, we talk about that this season and in that, that coaching with Devin, like, Honey, we got to get out of this loop, baby. You're stuck on a loop. You've been on a yeah. loop for 10 years. We got to get off the loop and we got to move forward, you know, because that everything good and abundant and exceptional and, and warm and good feeling is in front of you. And you got to think that you got to manifest that. Yes. Oh, you know how I'm a huge believer in the power of manifestation. Yeah, totally. totally. You're talking to the right people. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. 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 We are just so grateful that you came on and we love watching you and are so excited to continue to watch you and to watch you thrive in all aspects of your life. And just thank you for taking the time. Thank you. And I just want to say a love, love, love your page, love your IG, love the podcast. I thank you for creating space for me to talk about my fullness um, as a woman, right? Because I do think, you know, some viewers might get the impression, um, I don't know how they could possibly get this impression, but some people might be getting this impression that um, there's only like one or two modes of operation for me or one or two dimensions. Um, And the reality is, is that I am just such a curious, excitable, um, thoughtful um, optimistic woman who's looking for love, who's who's trying to figure out what family looks like, who's absolutely in love with my blackness, and that's not going anywhere. And you know, I'm always going to bring that black excellence to this and every platform I occupy. Um, so folks should probably get used to that. Um, but but also, you know, all the other things, you know. So thank you for just like creating space for the 360. That's really oh. important to me. We love you, and we love watching you so much. Thank you, ladies. I appreciate it. This is super fun. Thank you both. Yes, we will talk to you soon. All right, dear. Bye-bye. Bye. Let's talk about baby making for a second because it's really not as simple as it's made out to be, meaning there's just factually a lack of knowledge surrounding how to get pregnant And kind of, you know, for many of us, we spend our lives trying to prevent unwanted pregnancy that when you do want to conceive, there's almost a lack of understanding and resources, which is why I want to introduce you to Free to Fertility. Free to Fertility is the only one-stop shop that makes it easier to make a baby with a set of solutions for everything from egg and sperm health to ovulation tracking to conception aid. And basically what Frida is doing is simplifying the journey to parenthood with products that help you go from trying to making a baby. And their products are innovative, easy to use, accessible, from ovulation prediction to at-home insemination kits. They're kind of revolutionizing the conception aid game with the at-home insemination kit, which is almost, you can think of it as like a modern, effective solution to the turkey baster. This is baby making simplified. Find Free to Fertility on Amazon, Target, and select CVS near you.